1: may be one of the hardest challenges we face in life. It is a fact of life whether we admit it or not. Let us be honest, it scares us. When we lose a spouse, sibling, parent, friend, a favorite item, a house, or anything that you think is of a value, that grief can be particularly intense. Loss is understood as a natural part of life. But we can still be overcome by shock, confusion, anxiety, and fear, leading to prolonged periods of sadness, the blues or grey days, loss of interests, irritability, withdrawal. The sadness typically diminishes in intensity as time passes, But grieving is an important process in order to overcome the feelings and emotions so to embrace the time you had with your loved one. Everyone reacts to loss differently and employs various personal coping skills for grief and loss. People and families do recover from loss in their own way through the passage of time when they have the positive social, family, employment supports and healthy habits. It can take months or years to accept a or the loss. There is no normal time period for someone to grieve or to feel the sense of loss. Don't expect just to pass through any phases of grief in a linear way. Many people can be all over the map. It's okay. It's normal. It will take some time and thought before you are able to look back on the loss. Human beings are naturally resilient. We have the capability to endure what we do not believe we can. People do continue on with our own lives, yet there are some that hold on so tight and choose not to heal and grow. There are some people that struggle so much with grief and loss for long periods of time and feel unable to carry out their daily activities. People that suffer severe grief and loss or complicated grief could benefit from further intervention from family, co-workers, peers, or a professional counsellor and grief support groups. We all need support and assistance through this time. It is a fact that we cannot do it alone, says Rev. Mark Baston. Valeria interviews Rev. Mark on Grief Recovery. As a minister and therapist, Reverend Mark Baisden has seen so many individuals, families, communities, agencies, and churches struggle with emotional instability, distress, relational distress, and addictions. The calling that guides him is to serve people no matter where they are or are at. Through that calling, Rev. Mark has been able to work in institutions, hospitals, community centers, native villages and reservations, schools, and in front rooms slash kitchens. Here is the interview with Rev. Mark Basden.
0: In your own words, who is Reverend Mark Baston today?
2: A servant to serve others in, in the best possible way with information, knowledge, listening, and sometimes just presence.
0: Mm, yeah, Wonderful. So I have a few warm-up questions uh, here for you. Our conversation today is mainly about grief and loss. Uh, These two questions or three questions I have now might lead us into that topic better. Uh, So the first one is, what is the unknown? And why are we so afraid of that space, of that word even? And how do you connect the unknown or the fear of the unknown with self-knowledge?
2: It seems to me that the unknown is we don't have a ready-made answer for it. We have this attitude inside of us that's been taught to us unconsciously almost that words know just about everything. But there are some things, and from my faith, there are things that I will never know about the mysteries of my God. Uh-oh. Sometimes I've even said I can't hear him. Uh, well, I have to ask myself, am I getting in the way of him? But the unknown is like a black hole. Um, our scientists, and astrophysicists and others are always trying to find out what's in a black hole. Well, it's because we don't know. It is both a positive and it draws us to more learning or study or research. Part of it is that sense of exploring is a sense of adventure for many people. They like to solve or like to look for answers that aren't readily available to us. And that's how we learn about ourselves. But we also learn about our world, um, the world that's ever changing. Since nothing is very static in our world, we need to be able to flow with it. I think that anything that people don't know them directly themselves there is that part of them that wants to go find out some want to just have the answer so they can prove to everybody else that they're right and know something another doesn't it scares us that there is an end to something that's e-n-d when everything that begins to complete starts a new beginning. So it's a lot about our attitude, how we've experienced things, our motivations, but the fact that for some reason in America, everybody wants to know everything. And I don't find, have not found that to be true in many other cultures. Um, they know what they know. And when it's time to say about it, say something, they will. If it's not time, they don't. And that's the difference between knowledge. Knowledge is spoken, but wisdom is silent. Mm. Still, it is needed.
0: Wow. So, why are we so afraid of the unknown? You just mentioned that some people will explore so they get to learn what that is, but some other people, they just run away from it.
2: Well, it's very changed any new learning is a change in you any new learning and when it is learned how do i use it do i use it for myself is is it supposed to be for myself or is it supposed to share with the world so many times we're in conflict even if we learn it what are we supposed to do with it we don't have the answer to that one or i started doing this i've spent all this time i have spent all this money i've spent everything else and it's not going anywhere. It's the attitude of, were you doing something? Were you doing something that you enjoy? If you love what you do, is it really work? Um, you know, we use very inaccurate terms to define what we do, but anything that we don't know that is beyond out there sometimes keeps us from moving forward to find the answer, if you will, to just for ourselves, not for anybody else, for just us. And that takes energy. That takes responsiveness. That takes us doing something about about it. And a lot of times people don't want to waste the energy. Just. That's true. They'd rather sit in front of the TV and let somebody else tell them. Mm. We've learned to become very apathetic. It's hard for people to see themselves outside of whatever they do because it's comfortable. Mm. They don't have to work. They don't have to put out any energy. They don't have to put out of themselves. But yet when a crisis comes like we have now, they want everybody else to be there. That's the unknown. We have an unknown today in this crisis called COVID-19. Right. We have no end time. We don't know when this is going to end. You know, China jumped up and down in the hey, hooray for us. We've got no new cases and people are getting better. And all of a sudden they've got a resurgent. Oh, no. So we have two new questions. One, were they really healed or cured the first time? Or every, did everybody just get feeling better? Or and did we go back? Did they go back to doing the same thing they were doing before that allowed the virus to get grab a hold, a foothold again? Don't know. That's an unknown, isn't it?
0: True. Yeah, very much.
2: But it scares some people, and it does. Mm-hmm. The biggest person that's scared right now, and it's why he's making as many mistakes, I believe, is President uh,
0: Trump. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah not that I know anything of but um if you want to mention <laughs> you're welcome to mention that but
2: you know but that's an unknown he doesn't know our scientists don't know dr fauci who's head of immunology for the CDC doesn't know and he's probably one of the most gifted man on the planet right now that understands it this, this this process, and yet he doesn't know, and he says he don't doesn't know. He's trying to figure it out right alongside of us. Some people will listen, and some people won't. Oh, we know what to do. No, I I did, you know, but that's the way we are because we want to sometimes puff ourselves up to things that we don't know.
0: <laughs> True. Um, I'm wondering. If we get to the point of knowing ourselves, if that will, uh, could eliminate the fear of the unknown.
2: Yes, it will reduce it, right? Where it won't have much effect on us.
0: Right, right.
2: And we'll want to go research it. We'll want to see what it is there. You know, um, and it's, it's no different than phobias. Phobias are nothing more than fears. Fear of spiders. Well, I I can tell you, for me, it's the spiders and their little touchy feely on my skin that drives me up the wall. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I get freaked out (laughs) when a spider lands on me. You know, (laughs) some people believe that things of the unknown will change them to the point where they don't know what they will and won't have. People that are to the dark. It's more about self-loss that no people will ever see them again or they will not see themselves.
0: Mm, Wow. Interesting um, observation. So let me ask you questions about related to the subject of the unknown. And the first big one is death, our own death and the death of others around us. So this is something that's happening now more. And it seems to me that this is the biggest fear for all of us. So why are we so afraid of death? And if we get to know ourselves, will that change?
2: I think if we know ourselves more, it will when we're comfortable within our own skin. But I think death has been portrayed as being such a final thing, a final end, if you will, because death is really nothing more than the physical body dying.
0: Right.
2: There is that scares a lot of people. Also, we've taught in so many different ways of. Two basic places that people go when they die, physically die, and that's either hell or heaven. And it all comes down to what you believe, what you've been taught, Mm. choose to believe your attitude toward it. My faith has shared with me for many years that I have been created. The mechanism for my creation to be known is nine months in my mom's belly, and then I'm born into the world. And that's when the clock really starts, when you start taking your first breath. Every day, you're getting a little older, and that'll go on for whatever number of years there is that you have, barring any extreme tragedy. There is a, what we would call a soul or the spirit of a person that still is in us. That's the core. That's the heart, if you will. Your path. Who you are as a person is known by the path you walk. How you live your life is what tells people who you are, the sense. Well, that has a spirit to it. And when the physical body dies, it is my belief and belief of many cultures that that spirit, that essence of you rises in the Native American traditions and in the Alaskan traditions here uh, where I live everything rises so when they would smoke a peace fight together or they would burn sage as a cleansing or as a fragrant aroma Mm, uh, where does it go it rises and when we at you know we know that heat and smells and other things all rise well our spirit also rises now throughout history there are different ways. Um, if we go back to um, the real early days of the Roman Empire and many traditions in the Middle East, is that they laid two coins on the eyes, the closed eyes of a deceased, physically dead, so that the boatman could care, uh, to take them, to pay the boatman to take them to the next level of what we call life. So the other factor, too, is there is an emotional and a mental piece to this, not only spiritual, but the fact that they never really die. We have captured pictures or video, if you will. They are constantly there's a country western songs that talks about the voices in my head. They're, they're always being reminded. Uh, my father, who passed away July 2017, is still very active because i remember his teachings I remember the the different talks that he and i had do i remember the not so good times yes but you cannot have one without the other because our world is based on a form of tension of opposites right right uh, the greatest symbol i know of that shows that is the is uh, the yin and yang that's balance you can't have gravity without anti gravity You can't have death, physical death without physical life, your heart, lungs, your everything about yourself. But it scares us because we think some final end. We always have this drive to know what's out there, if you will. And that and that creates a lot of our emotions and a lot of our feelings and a lot of our beliefs. The other aspect of it is, is that we don't like to be alone. Because death is a form of loss, and loss scares us to death. Look at how people respond when they lose their keys or think they've lost their glasses when they're right there on top of their head.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, right. right. Uh, good point. It's a form
2: of loss. I'm going to be without, oh, no. I can't be without my mom. I can't be without dad. Well, dad's always there write memoir, memoirs. Some dads uh, make a project and let's say, like my father did before he got too physically unable to. He had help from one of his grandsons and myself to take all his pictures and all his slides, because back then, back in the day, we used slides as well. And had machines to project them, and we converted them into a digital library. So now I can remember, I can look at the pictures again see my dad. I can see the people he knew. Uh, I can have those beautiful remembrances of places that we lived together, or the family, black and white family photo of all of us dressed, my brother, my younger brother, myself, my mom and dad, dressed in our custom-made kimonos that'll never die because I have the remembrance. And what a lot of people, at least here in America, do think that you're gonna forget them. You're gonna forget. And so we're always saying, lest you forget. Well, where we have a good elephant's brain, our brain never forgets. There is some injury, some neurological change, some chemical change in our bodies where we begin to lose that capability, and that drives us even worse nuts.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> my dad, he couldn't remember certain people's names, and he could remember every. I mean, that's just mm. work. But it's that fact that we're going to lose something. I didn't lose a dad. My dad physically is not here anymore, but my dad is still alive because I. Mm. Because I know from our family and our faith, we know he's in heaven, probably annoying God, like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> see, and that's part of our belief and many believers in God is that we're taught and told that we will not know all the mysteries until we're with him, until we see him face to face. Uh, and then we will sit at the temple and begin to ask him all kinds of questions. Well, that's what my dad's doing. And my dad had a lot of questions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He did. (laughs) But
2: that law is that sense of losing something because we put a possession. Mm,
0: Interesting.
2: No person belongs to anybody else. They're connected. Materialistic things have value as we put value on them.
0: I love that, Mark. What he just said, Yeah. The the fear of loss because we have made ownership and possession of, out of things <laughs> in people.
2: <laughs> yeah, we have people years. Uh, one of the reasons we struggle with the men male female relationship and how males dominant, dominated and rarely mistreated females for so many years was that they were thought of property. They were thought of chattel. True. If they didn't do it the way they wanted, then they were, in many men, in many cultures, thought of them as slaves. So it, again, comes back to our belief system, truly believe, and our attitudes.
0: I agree with you like 100%, yes, what we, we believe in. I'm just wondering, yeah, two things. One question is about beliefs and values. I have this question here for you uh, based on what the comments you just made. And another comment I want to make is um, what you said profoundly true about the opposites. We cannot experience one thing without experiencing the opposite of that, uh, sorrow and then joy, Love, and I don't know, it might be loss, the opposite, the pain of losing what we love. But in order not to have that pain, then we have to give up the, the experience of loving, of deeply loving others. And that's not, I don't think that's a choice. <laughs> that wouldn't be a wise choice to make.
2: Well, back, if you go back to the early Bible, we tend to be very observational based in the Old Testament, it talks about Solomon who became Saul and what was the reason that Israel needed a king, a human king. Uh, they didn't, but everybody else had one and they wanted one too. And they asked God for one and he gave them one. Uh, we have we build monstrosities in cathedrals and grand edifices, if you will. I love them, but we want to be seen. We have a need to be seen. Being not known or just being a wallflower, let's say, and nobody really notices me, is very hard for us. And that's a loss. And it's a loss by a lot of people. Um, And we have it in our movies. There's a movie that I thoroughly enjoy. Uh, It's called What Women Want, Want. And in that, um, there's a young lady who's struggling in this office arena and she's not a main character, but she has a main part within the film. And you hear what she's thinking and somebody bumps into her and she drops all the files and everything she was carrying. And you hear, and the next thing you hear is just go ahead and walk away, just like I'm not here. If I didn't show up one day, where would that girl that that carries the papers. Would they even notice? That's scary. That scares a lot of people. Right. And so if you put that into context with a lot of things, it's more about ourselves than it is actually. And as I was taught by an elder long, many years ago, death is not for the person that is dying, but the people that have to live on. I'm sad. I'm sad my father's read. Did I weep? Yes, because I'm, I'm going to miss him. Dad's not there for me to pick up, even though he couldn't talk to me. I could talk to him and he would run. And that knowing was beautiful to me. I can remember when my mother's dad died in the 80s, I don't know, in the late 70s. And I was having a hard time coping with that man being gone just because of our relationship. And so I went out to the river where we used to fish together. I can't tell you that it was true. I can't tell you there was ghosts there. But when I was out there in my own sorrow, I looked up and looked across the river and Vanford was there with a fishing pole in his hand, just used to be when we were together, okay? Mm. That's a remembrance that was put out in a hologram, whatever you want to call it, I know I saw it. The answer is yes. (laughs) Is it something I can touch, something that I can feel? No, but I can feel it in my heart and soul.
0: Right. And you know that that was true. It was a true moment. It's an inner knowing, right, Mark?
2: Exactly. Because that's an exact representation of what Mm. we used to be like, what we've experienced together. We used to fish the river a lot together out by his boat. Right, and I can remember him standing there casting, and he was the happiest he could have been. <laughs> right. It's like my dad. I have a picture of my dad at the helm of his sailboat, and that right there is where dad, where my dad, was the happiest in his life. To later part of his life, that's where he was the happiest before he had to give it up. But those type of things are hard to let go for anybody. Yeah. We are afraid of loss, of not having something we
0: want. Mm, True. True. I love the idea of experiencing trust and faith and hope the way you did. And I think that's very personal for all of us. Like then knowing. You know that this is true. You know that we don't die. This is just an experience in the body. And uh, when this is over, love still lives on. What is the difference between beliefs, values, and that knowing that we have been talking about, that inner knowing that's very personal?
2: And nirvana is a is a form of for them. Our nation is a way that they accept that the physical body does die. That's that's just reality. It wears out. Beliefs are what you truly believe. There is, there would be, it would be very hard to just dissuade you from a certain belief uh, you know it to be right and right is the good thing it's about and the values we live by is how are those values seen by others i have to i will revert back here to a very biblical principle in the sense that you as i mentioned earlier your heart who you are as a person heart of god if you want to call it that or whatever is known by the path you walk, by how you live your lives. If you are seen to be an honest man, that's a value, but it's also a belief. If you are a man that fought, man and woman that follows your word, that what you say it will get done, then you have believability. You also have credibility, and you have a sense of integrity. And those three things are important to us, to people about who we trust. About aligning ourselves with people that have the same values as we do. And in many respects, the same belief patterns. Now, there are times though in our lives when we take a different course. We go on one of those adventures or exploring adventures and it takes us to areas we don't like. Yet the original foundation of what you know, what you believe, your values, That's almost like the core of your life, the foundation, you will come full circle. And we have seen so many examples of people coming back, what they know, they know is as right. Uh, we can think of the gentleman who now leads Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham left his father and mother, Billy Graham and his wife, and took off for a period of what we call rebellion, what others label as rebellion. He went off and lived his own thing. He was in a biking gang. He rode motorcycles. He just lived the opposite life of what he'd been raised in. And by the time he was about 35, he realized this wasn't right. Uh, This just isn't getting me nowhere. This isn't fulfilling me. This isn't what I know to be true. And he ended up going back and now leads the Billy Graham ministers. That's just one example of the story in the Bible of the prodigal son. He wanted to sow some wild oats. So dad said, okay, do that. Here's your part of the inheritance. Go have fun. And he got to one of the lowest parts of his life to the point where he was slopping out the pigsties, and he says, you know what? My fathers eat better than I do. Why did I think it was better on the other, greener on the other side of the fence, if you will? And he returned home and was accepted about without judgment. His brothers were pretty tick. Why should he be allowed? It was about them at that point, not about what the teaching was of, there are periods of time when we come back to what we know is right and live our values. You know, there's, yeah, we all have those things in us. We have all in our lives, if we think back, gone astray, if you will. (laughs) But yet, we've always come back to what we know the truth is
0: Mm.
2: what people have taught us people that may not be around anymore,
0: right?
2: But their voice is still inside of us. Yeah, our values are not lost we just chose to do something different but i would say most people will nine out of ten people will come back to what the values are it may take people getting to the lowest part of their lives or be that close to death because of some poor decisions or choices that's something we're not in control of but we are in control of when and how we return.
0: Right, I agree. Yeah, I like that. We never know exactly why people act the way they do and things uh, happen the way they happen. When you talk about values, I think about objective.
2: That's the why, the W-H-Y. I think that why is an abstract question because there is no concerted answer. It is as large mm. <laughs> with knowns and unknowns as our universe is. So I don't I do my best. I'm not perfect. I do my best not to ask people that question because they don't know themselves most of the time. You ask a child, why did you do that? You know, I was we were watching, um, I don't I we were watching some YouTube video about children say the darndest thing. And a father, you hear in the background, a father say, Why did you do that? And the kid said,
0: Why not? Why not? Right. What, what a great it? answer. And, you know, and this is a you know, <laughs> six-year-old kid. He doesn't know why he did mm-hmm. it.
2: because It seems like fun. Okay, there's an egg with a crack in it. What would happen if I make that crack bigger?
0: <laughs> and
2: mm-hmm. he does. He found out. But the father says, why did you do that? You know, he wanted to learn something. He wanted to explore something. Now he got a mess on the floor. So how can you help him learn from that? But we all... Not even in our adulthood. So I think why is one of those things that we try to find an answer that we don't have, mm. but it's so large we can't understand it. We wouldn't be able to recognize
0: it. I agree. Yeah.
2: Our values are that way. I can't tell you how I learned that thou shalt not steal. It's in the Ten Commandments, I know. Um, but I don't can't remember consciously when I was taught that. But I know my father had that value, and so did my mother, and we learned that. I mean, and as a child, as we're growing up and developing, we get in that mind stage, M-I-N-E. Everything they see is theirs. Same way. If it's there and you see it, then you want it, so you take it. Mm. But we don't stay in that stage very long, do we? Right. teach us that not everything in this world is yours and not everything do you need.
0: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: So when it comes to values, sometimes we learned it by watching others. When you're a child, two, three, four, five years old, and you're getting ready to start going to preschool or kindergarten or whatever it is, how do you know how to treat others? Starts in the home. That's what you see. It's what you've been taught. What do we, how do we understand what a friend is? It's by what we see others do before we learn the definition of the word or able to put a word to it. We don't know what death is until we experience it. What do you how do you teach a child about the loss of something? when they are, when you have to flush a fish down the, t- down the toilet. Oh, God. <laughs> it's not, it's, we do a of things. That's how we learn about loss or a toy breaks. There are some things that really have no meaning. We know something's different, but we don't know what it is. And that could be mom and dad throwing out all my broken toys. Uh, when you're a kid and you wreck your bike and it's got a bent wheel and you can't ride anymore. What do you do? You just lost something. You go, "Hey, Dad, you got to fix this. You got to buy me a new wheel or a new bike." right? Well, sometimes people think as adults think that way too.
0: So true. One of the things that I like to believe might say it's common sense. I like to relate that to values in a way, objective experiences, like asking the question, "Why do you eat broccoli?" And then the answer usually is because it's healthy. So it kind of makes sense to me. You know, that, that makes sense. Yeah, because it is healthy. And so if that eating healthy becomes a value, then it's something that is has ground on reality, on this relative reality that's good for the physical body. So why not do it? But the human experience is made out of so many beliefs that I connect to perceptions So, so many ideas and concepts about who we are, what life is, what other people are and all this. And that's when I think it's really hard to ask why. Yeah, because now you don't even know, like you said, who you are in the first place. So that's really kind of hard to ask those questions. But I also love asking somebody like yourself, why do you believe in life after death? And then, if, if you talk to me and you told me this story about your dad seeing him on that water fishing, then yeah, I would say, yeah, you know, I understand why you believe that and why this is a knowing for you. And who knows, it might become a knowing for me too, just by listening to that.
2: Well, the afterlife is that our life continues, but almost paradoxically through the spirit and through. The legacy, if you will, of what we have left behind. Mm. Wow. With both the good and the not so good. Right. And I think when we come to an acceptance of the that we do, parts of us do live on. Then (laughs) we are at ease with it. It is of a known. It's just like people that I haven't seen for a while. I have some pictures of them up up on my walls. We always have remembrances and we've always lived by a type of value that says an elephant never forgets. Now, that adage teaches us something. Our brains are so complex and we store away so many bits of data using a computer term, that we can never forget the good or the bad, but can deal with how it affects us.
0: Wow. You know, I really love what you just said. I mentioned the afterlife and then you said, no, it's like they live on as the spirit through memories in a way in the here and now through us, the ones who stay. And that, makes me think about the afterlife. It's not apart from life, life itself. It's, there's no after. It's just connected. It's a continuum.
2: It's connected.
0: Hmm. Wow. Right. That resonates true. <laughs>
2: I can think of in the last year how many people are, you know, I can think of the times that people said, you sound just like your dad or you look like your dad because there's something of them, him, in me, as well as my mom. Right. My dad went prematurely bald at age 22. I haven't, I've still got a full head of hair. Uh, My brother, though, started to go bald, but not to the level my father did. We have some of them in us, it's through our DNA, but we also have their teachings, which don't always reside in the brain, or in the mind as the world would want us to believe, but believes in our heart. That's,
0: the, that's what we are talking about today, the heart and the spirit that lives on. Um, talk to me about the truth that you have found about grief and loss. Two,
2: I, I sent you two, seven of them. That's on the wellness, but there's also, I, I sent you one called grief as a normal part of life. They will adapt, they will adjust, they will begin to see what life is that they are doing some of the things that that person that is gone used to do. We hear things like, oh, that's your mom's recipe, or that this tastes just like grandma used to make, or what, did you, what ingredients did you use in that brine for smoking some fish, let's say, or some venison or whatever? Well, I remember grandpa using this. Or I just kept thinking there was something I was missing. It just, just wasn't right. And then I remembered what it was. Oh, can, can you share that? Yeah, it was vanilla. For some reason, my grandfather always put vanilla in his brine to prepare mm-hmm. for smoking. I can't tell you why, but those things live on. Um, those things you're going to catch yourself doing. You're going to be all of a sudden be talking to one of your kids and you're going to say, Gosh, you sound like mom, you know, or somebody will be sarcastic enough to say, Oh, you're just like Aggie. Unfortunately, I've said that to my mother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my dad, and I did. there's always something that's in you from the other person, whether it's a look that comes out now and then, whether it's a knowledge, whether it's a what whatever it can be i can remember uh when i had my three youngest kids and they were i think my daughter was about four or five and my grandma came up my mom came up to the house her grandma and baked christmas tree cakes with them my my daughter is now 15 and she still remembers that she will have that all her life we have pictures yes But she'll remember it because it's something she experienced. So it really, you never really lose somebody, but you lose them being around every day. You don't have them physical because loss is also about, and belief comes from the fact of faith, and faith is believing in things you can't Mm -hmm. see. Right. Also, things you can see, things you can feel, things you can't feel. But we want to have that material side of things, if you will. We want to be able to hold their hand, and we can't. And sometimes that makes people feel lonely. And loneliness is a very valid thing, and it can be. We have social isolation going on now uh, with the COVID and or what they call social distancing and it has increased the level of depression for many people because they don't, they can't connect with other people physically. Uh, I think of my mom, what she felt like when my dad was in Thailand and Vietnam from December of 69 until into almost 72, how difficult she didn't have that support, that backup. Um, she had to deal with things on her own. And sometimes that scares people that's a loss. But when we get through it, it does end from that standpoint. And in the sense of grief and loss, it never ends, but it never begins either, because it's the physical loss of life, not the other parts, not the grand
0: parts, if you will. Yeah, I agree. So um, I'll be asking you two more questions, my final questions. If you could outline three main suggestions on grief recovery, what would that be, Mark?
2: Talk about the grief. Talk about your grief. Be willing to let others support you and feel your grief because nobody can help you if help is needed unless they know. Don't isolate avoidance, um, isolation, pulling away from people, pulling away from naturally things that you used to enjoy can be problematic and can keep you from growing within yourself and reducing more of whatever you're feeling, the pain, whatever it may be. And you're not going to be able to avoid it forever. Understand that what you're feeling is normal. It is What you're supposed to be going through. It is okay to be sad. It is okay to at times feel lonely, but it never stays there. The problem is when you stay stuck there. Recognize that you're feeling it and say, okay, I'm feeling it. I'm going to feel it and we'll get through this. Give yourself that opportunity.
0: That is wonderful. And that makes so much sense. Talk about it. Uh, Don't isolate themselves and understand that what they're feeling is normal.
2: Accept it. Yeah. Come to a form of acceptance of it, that for this period of time, you feel this way and that's okay.
0: Yeah, I love that, Mark. Love, love that. Thank you so much again for your wisdom and we'll be talking soon again, <laughs> I'm sure. And before we go, can you please tell us where to find more information about you and your services and future projects?
2: Um, the best place to go right now is to go to Facebook and type in Mark, M-A-R-C dot Baizden, B-A-I-S-D-E-N dot three three two. And that will take you to My likes page, that'll take you to things that I'm involved in. And also all of these writings right now, other than the ones you have posted, are also on there as well.
0: Thank you so much again, Mark, and we'll talk soon.
2: Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you, bye for now.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn more about Reverend Mark Basden, please visit his LinkedIn page, www.linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash rev dash mark dash based dash a five seven B three three one four nine. To learn more about this podcast,
0: please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.